every time you approach a stop sign and someone else is approaching the sign from another direction, you're practicing faith. You're practicing faith that that other person's going to stop. The manuscripts we have for Caesar's Gallic Wars or other histories of Rome are from hundreds of years later than our earliest manuscripts of the New Testament. There are also many fewer of those copies, yet nobody thinks that Caesar wasn't real. No one thinks that Julius Caesar was just made up by someone. I just ask God, if you're real, show me. Welcome to Physically Spiritual. I've been amazed by how much growing physically healthier has changed my spiritual life. I am captivated with discovering the truth about my body and how it relates to my relationship with God. Physically Spiritual is my attempt to harmonize and share what I have discovered. I'm your host, Andrew Reinhardt. Welcome back to Physically Spiritual. Today I want to talk about faith and reason, uh, two topics that I think are, are misunderstood by a lot of people in the world today. Um, First, to start out, I think we can misunderstand the relationship between faith and reason by reducing them to religion and science, that um, faith is just about religion and reason is just about science. Let's talk about each. Reason is more than science. Um, Reducing reason to science has been called by some scientism, that uh, that itself is a belief. It's a belief about the world, about the way we come to know and understand things. It would claim that all that we could know is something that's measurable, right? If I can't put it under an instrument, if I can't um, experience it with my senses in a way that I could uh, put numbers to it, then it's not real. That everything I understand comes from this kind of scientific method. But science isn't absolutely reliable, When I say that, um, don't misunderstand me to say that science isn't helpful or that science doesn't discover truth because I think science is really helpful. And uh, obviously it's had a massive positive impact on society, but all scientific knowledge is provisional. What I mean by that is that the scientific knowledge we're using now is the best we have, but it could improve. So one example of this would be uh, Newtonian physics. So Sir Isaac Newton, a brilliant man, a genius, had um, his theories of physics. Um, another brilliant man came along in the 20th century, uh, Albert Einstein, and came up with a theory of relativity. Now, Einstein's theories of relativity, in, in a lot of ways, improved on Newton's vision of reality, Newton's vision of the world. Uh, the concepts that were there. But um, it's not that like now Einstein's ideas are perfect. There's physicists and scientists and people out there trying to improve on Einstein's theories, trying to um, to come up with a new uh, universal theory of the way that that the physical world works, or at least trying to explain um, some of the issues we know about in his theories. So all science is provisional. This doesn't mean that Newton's ideas were bad or or inaccurate. What it means is that Einstein's ideas were more accurate and still not perfect, um, but good, better. Uh, so all science works this way. Um, the theories that we hold now, we're going to have better theories in the future. And it's not that what we know now isn't true or isn't right. Um, there's limits to it though, right? So um, let's take another example, like the theory of evolution. Uh, most scientists believe in this, this theory, and we don't expect it to be replaced by another theory in the future. Um, but there are problems with it. 
there are things we don't completely understand, certain transitions um, between no life and life, between um, life and, and human life, between there being nothing and then there being something, right? So it doesn't explain everything. It doesn't fill in all the holes. And, um, and so we can be sure that there'll be ideas in the future that help us to understand these things better without completely replacing the theory of evolution, but uh, filling in the holes in the theory, uh, clarifying it. So science is always provisional and science doesn't uh, fill every single hole of human experience. Uh, what about things like literature? Like you could read a good book and be inspired by it and discover something about the way the world works, not because it's demonstrating a theory or, or giving you data, but because it is exposing something that's true, something that's deeply meaningful, that resonates in your heart and in your mind. Um, what about philosophy? Philosophy considering principles before science, considering um, uh, the metaphysical, so things that are beyond measurable, like spirit or meaning, language, and just the everyday human experience of love, right? I can't uh, give you a scientific theory to demonstrate that my grandmothers loved me, um, but I know that my grandmothers loved me. I had a real experience of their love that can't be reduced uh, or put under a microscope or, um, or experimented on. And that doesn't mean that that love isn't real or that they didn't love me. It just means that there's ways that we understand reality beyond what's scientific. So th there's not really a problem with science from this perspective. The problem is reducing reason to science. So there's more to reason than just science. Reason is our ability to know everything. It's our ability to know in, in every different situation, the causes of things uh, beyond the material world, uh, in the material world, to understand um, the direct causes of things and the ultimate causes of things, the first causes of things. Um, reason is really wisdom. It's the ability to understand the whole and not just the parts, the ability to put things together. So our reason is encompassing of more than just science. All right, let's take faith now. I said that it can be problematic to reduce faith to religion because faith is something natural. Right. We can sometimes define faith as a blind leap. Maybe you've heard people talk about faith as a leap of faith, right? Like you're jumping off a cliff and you don't know if you're going to die on the other side or if you're going to be mystically levitated or something. No, no, faith isn't a blind leap. Faith is actually something reasonable, something we all do every day. So every time you approach a stop sign and someone else is approaching the sign from another direction, you're practicing faith. You're practicing faith that that other person's going to stop, that that other person is going to follow the traffic laws. Every time you get in an airplane, you probably have some level of faith. Unless you're an engineer, you probably don't understand exactly how that plane is going to work. So you take a level of faith that the maintenance crews did the right thing to keep that airplane up, that the pilot uh, is going to fly the, the plane responsibly. Um, and you take a uh, faith in the design of the aircraft that it's going to work, right? So faith is simply acting as if something is true, right? You don't have all the data because you can't know the future. Uh, you can't know what's in somebody else's mind. You can't know all things about everything. So you have to take faith that things are going to work the way you expect them to. This is natural faith. This is human. This is healthy. Um, if we don't have that kind of faith, um, 
it could be unhealthy. Maybe it's a psychological issue or something like that, that you can never trust. And it can be debilitating. Um, so faith is simply believing as if in a way it's trusting. So in the context of religion, uh, faith is believing as if God's self-revelation is true. So the way that God's revealed himself in the scriptures, the way that God's revealed himself in time and history, and the way that God is revealing himself in your own life, that that's true. You're acting as if that is the case. Uh, so you can have a, a natural level of faith in revelation, right? You're convinced that it is the case, but then faith is also something supernatural. Let's start with the natural layer first. There's really three different evidences for faith on a, on a natural level. The first is a document. We have great evidence in the New Testament that Jesus was a real person, that Jesus's words are accurate. Um, we have actually more in earlier manuscripts of the New Testament from any other book in that time in history. Um, if you just look at it from what's called textual criticism, a science that considers ancient texts um, from the earliest sources we have, the earliest copies, and then how many copies we have, and then what the, the length of time is between when it was actually written to when those copies were made, right? So the closer it is in time, the more copies there are, and the more agreement there are between those sources, the more confidence we can have of the accuracy of the source. There's no other book from the ancient world at the time of Christ uh, that's more clearly accurate and reliable than the New Testament, right? Let's take another historical figure of roughly the same time period, like Julius Caesar. Um, the manuscripts we have for Caesar's Gallic Wars or other histories of Rome are uh, from hundreds of years later than our earliest manuscripts of the New Testament. There are also many fewer of those copies than there are of the New Testament. Yet nobody thinks that Caesar wasn't real. No one thinks that Julius Caesar was just made up by someone or that Julius Caesar was um was a, a, like a figment of someone's imagination or a mythical character or something like that. No, we consider Caesar to have actually lived because Caesar explains something about the history of the world that corresponds to these documents. And we have evidence that these documents are accurate. So even more so, we have evidence that the New Testament is accurate. We have evidence that Jesus was a real person. Uh, and we have evidence that, that his believers accurately conveyed the information that they were trying to communicate. So our second kind of evidence, witness, the witness of history and the witness of people today. Uh, if we look at the history of, of at least Europe and, and much, many other areas of the world, it's hard to explain that history for the last 2000 years without Jesus, without Christianity, the motivations of those peoples. If we want to deny uh, that the New Testament is something reliable, that Christ is uh, someone that we might want to believe in, then we have to consider that billions and billions of people in the history of the world were duped, were wrong, were either crazy, uh, bad people, right? They're deceiving others, or they were um, just mistaken. So in this case, we have a, a great amount of witness to the accuracy of the gospel. Uh, that it's reasonable, um, while it's not like the technical term is apodictic certainty, that like one plus one equals two kind of certainty, but we have a lot more witness to the accuracy of the gospel, to the truth of Jesus Christ, than we do of most anything else in our life. 
All right. The third kind of evidence we have is our personal experience, right? My life doesn't make sense without Jesus. I, I experienced Christ in a moment of conversion when I was in junior high. I uh, was born into a Catholic family and, and, and I had the blessing of Catholic schools, but I had become an agnostic in junior high. I figured that, um, that God didn't, uh, reveal himself in the scripture, that it was all sort of made up by someone in the middle ages, that the Pope was just some old guy that we didn't need to listen to. Um, I figured God probably existed, um, but I didn't believe, uh, in the gospels. I would, uh, I would go to church sometimes on my own and sit in the balcony and play my game boy. <laughs> and then I would grab a bulletin and take it home to prove that I was at church. I struggled with belief in my life. And what I experienced when I finally opened my heart to the Lord, I remember um, being taken into the church while preparing for my confirmation, the sacrament of confirmation. Um, and our teacher just took us in for a time of prayer in front of the blessed sacrament, in front of Jesus. And um, I remember just feeling uh, sadness, a depression in my life. Um, and what I prayed that day was, I just asked God, if you're real, show me because I know what I'm doing now isn't right because of how I feel. And I literally walked out of the church that day, believing everything. <laughs> it's, it was as if God had like opened up my head, taken the faith and dumped it in. Um, so I believed in the gospels. I believed in the church. I believed what I was learning in theology classes. And, um, and then since then, like religion classes in high school and, and even in college and graduate school, um, learning about theology and religion felt a lot more like remembering something than, um, than learning something new. It, it fit my brain. Uh, it wasn't, um, it, it, it was something compatible with what I had already experienced. Um, so my life makes no sense if God isn't real. And if you don't think God is real, you either have to think that I'm wrong, I'm mistaken, I'm crazy, or I'm bad, right? I'm trying to deceive you. Um, I would encourage you to stick around uh, and judge for yourself. You know, consider the evidence for yourself. Really think about it like you would um, any other issue in your life. Don't just dismiss faith. Um, really look into the evidence for the New Testament. Consider other people's stories. And then think about your own life, honestly, and just give it a shot. Pray. If God doesn't exist, nothing will happen. If he does exist, something might happen. Um, give it a try. Even beyond this natural level, where we believe because it's something reasonable, we also believe that faith is a supernatural gift. Some talk about faith as a theological virtue, that it's something that is theological, meaning it's from God. God initiates it in us. God gives it to us. It's a gift of, of God. But then it's also something that we respond to and grow in. It's a virtue. So it's something that we, something that conforms our life to God's design, something that transforms who we are, and something that we grow in over time that becomes more and more a joy and more and more uh, fitted to our experience. So from this perspective, faith is something supernatural. It's a gift of God. Right? It's not something that we earn. It's not something that we um, make happen for ourselves, but it's also something uh, that grows progressively over time. So it expresses in our actions. Faith isn't like a substance that 
we have like a container somewhere in our head and God dumps it in like that image that I, I use that image of God dumping the faith in my head. What I meant by that was, um, it was all just put there. Um, but faith is in the substance like that, that we collect and then hold on to. We have faith because we act faithfully. A virtue is something that expresses itself in action. And if we're not acting with that virtue, then we don't have it. It doesn't exist. It exists in action. So really having faith is faithing. It's doing faith. It's acting faithfully. So faith is a supernatural gift that gives us a real experience of God. While God is pure spirit, is beyond our sense experience, God's revealed himself to us in a way that makes belief in him reasonable. And then beyond that comes to us and gives us the supernatural experience of him. That's a real experience. That's a human experience. That's real knowledge of him. And maybe you've experienced that in your life. All right. So let's take, uh, go back a few steps and reconsider the original idea. What does this mean about faith and reason? Here's what the first Vatican council says about faith and reason. Although faith is above reason, Nevertheless, between faith and reason, no true dissension can ever exist. Since the same God who reveals mysteries and infuses faith has bestowed on the human soul the light of reason. Moreover, God cannot deny himself nor ever contradict truth with truth. All right, so what's this saying? It's saying that faith and reason, coming to knowledge through faith and coming to knowledge through reason, both have the same source. Right? God, who is the creator of the universe, the designer of the universe, has uh, given us a mind to understand that universe. So everything that we could discover with science, everything that we discover through uh, human modes of understanding, we come to understand uh, and we can have uh, faith in it. We can have trust in it that it's going to reveal God's design. That something about that discovery is fitted to God's truth. That something about that discovery is... Um, uh, is compatible with our belief. So with this in mind, as a person of belief, you can jump into the sciences with confidence that you're not going to find anything that contradicts uh, your beliefs. You can, uh, you can explore the physical world with, with energy and excitement and, and love uh, and, and discover truths that change the world with confidence that, that you don't have to be afraid that you believe in God, that you are Catholic or another denomination, or that um, that you're going to then need to defend yourself at every corner. Well, maybe people will attack you and you'll need to defend yourself, but you can approach it with confidence that you're not going to find something that contradicts your belief. On the other hand, a, a person of faith um, can go in understanding that what they believe is reasonable, but they don't have to take a blind leap. God isn't going to ask us to do something that makes absolutely no sense. Everything the Lord brings us to in our life either makes sense in light of his revelation or makes sense in light of his design, in light of what we find in reason. Um, so it's the same God who gives us the truth, whether it's through our reason or whether it's through faith. And, and honestly, as a human person, um, it's not always easy to tell where you figured something out, whether it's inspired, whether it's from revelation or whether it's discovered uh, through a rational process of, um, of scientific discovery. Um, so you don't have to sit there and try to figure it out. Um, we can just have trust that we have an experience of the truth that's real. So I want to introduce you to an idea called the symphony. 
the symphony is a, an image that, uh, that I came up with that I think really expresses this idea. Um, so all of the ways that we come to know by revelation, like the scripture, our relationship with God, the witness of others, the doctrines and dogmas of our church, all of these are like one section in the orchestra, maybe the woodwinds, uh, the physical sciences, uh, the social sciences, different ways of applying the scientific method to creation, to discover the truth. These are all like another section, maybe the brass. Then let's take, um, take the liberal arts, like philosophy, literature, poetry, uh, and all the beautiful ways we can come to understand the world through the arts. And maybe these are like the percussion. God is both the artisan who made the instruments and the composer of the music. And so he's both the source of all these ways of knowing. He created them. And he's also uh, created everything to work together to create something beautiful, to create a single experience of the music. You can think of this experience as like the truth. In your life, you can experience the truth and the truth, truth is symphonic, right? What you discover through science, what you discover in your science classes, what you discover um, in, in a book, a great piece of literature, and what you discover in a homily or by reading the scripture um, can create this beautiful experience of what's true, uh, all reinforcing the same idea. So where does this put us? Well, we're kind of like the uh, conductor of our life. <laughs> um, we certainly didn't write the music. We might not have designed all the instruments, but we have a real part to play in it, right? Uh, you have to have a, a deep knowledge of the piece of music. You have to then um, have the ability to, to move the, the parts uh, of, the, of the orchestra the right way and then conduct it in a way to convey the design of the composer. So we do this in our lives, right? The way you're, you're living your life um, that, that might seem just about your body, but also include your soul, like your diet, the way you sleep, the way you exercise, maybe if you do fasting, um, the way you handle your stress, all these different, uh, different parts of your, your life are like one of those parts of the symphony, like those um, uh, woodwinds or brass or something like that. And then the other parts of your life that seem spiritual but that your body's also involved in like your prayer life, reading the scripture, meditating. That's, that's another part. Um, and then the way that you discover reality through literature, through art, through philosophy, uh, this is another section. And in all these different areas of your life, you're either using the instruments the way that God designed them to be used, or you're not. And with those instruments, you're either playing the song that God's composed or you're not. Uh, what I've experienced in my life is that um, by trying to live my life according to God's design, both what I can discover through science, what I can discover uh, through reason, and what I can discover through faith, what's both reasonable um, and what's been, um, been my supernatural experience of God through faith, um, that all of this creates a harmony in my life. Sometimes the notes that are being played in these various areas of my life are creating harmonies. Uh, they're supporting each other um, in ways that aren't exactly the same, but that complement each other. Other times there's a little bit of dissonance, uh, some notes that don't exactly harmonize, um, but those areas where I experience that rub, that dissonance, they challenge me to go deeper. Uh, they, they invite me maybe to uh, change my preconceived notions uh, of the way the world works 
or the way that I, I see God. Uh, and they give a certain richness to my experience. Um, so in my experience, I've experienced that harmony, that all these different areas of my life work together, uh, to make me more and more and more the person that I want to be the person that God has designed me to be. And, um, you know, just because I'm saying this doesn't mean that I'm perfect, right? You can get a notion that, um, you know, if, if someone puts a microphone in front of their face, they have everything figured out. And so you're, since you're listening to this, you don't. Um, but in many ways, you probably have a lot more figured out than I do. And, and trust me, I still have a ton of struggles. Um, so we're all on this journey together. Um, and I would invite you into the symphony. I would invite you to consider your whole life. Consider every element of your faith, every element that you can discover through science, through literature. And, and in all of that, look for the harmony, uh, look for God's design, try to discover the music that you can play with that, the beauty that you can bring to the world. Um, and you might not only transform yourself, but you might transform the world around you too. Thanks for watching this episode of Physically Spiritual. If you're watching the show on YouTube, make sure to press the like button, subscribe to the Awakened Catholic YouTube channel, and turn on the bell notifications so that you can find out when new episodes are released. Also, it's super helpful if you could leave a review for the podcast on iTunes or your podcast player. At Awakened Catholic, we're dedicated to bringing people to truth through beauty. This show and all the shows here on Awakened Catholic are only possible because of people like you. You can become a part of what makes this all possible by making a tax-deductible donation for as little as the price of a cup of coffee a week. To join the Awakened Nation, visit awakencatholic.org forward slash join.